Welcome to Get Found, Get Funded, a podcast all about creating visibility, paths for growth, and opportunity for entrepreneurs. We focus on those entrepreneurs who are statistically underrepresented in the startup ecosystem. Your hosts are Zena Island, president of X Plus PR, a media relations agency, angel investor Aurelia Flores, managing member of Athena Digital Media Group, a digital marketing agency, and angel investor Christina Francis, president of Esteem Logic, an information technology consulting and training firm. In each episode, you will meet a new startup founder, hear about their company and where they are now. We then focus on one key challenge facing that entrepreneur, a challenge that is common among startups. Each episode also features a guest expert to weigh in on the challenge. Welcome to Get Found, Get Funded. Welcome everybody to the sixth episode of the Mac Moment of the Get Found, Get Funded podcast network. Today we are talking about financial literacy with our guest, Drew Hawkins. Drew is a wealth manager with over 30 years of experience and now and now focuses on working on helping athletes and entertainers better understand their finances and where their money goes. Drew is a Baltimore native who went to Mount St. Joe's High School and then to the University of Delaware, where he got his bachelor's in finance. After college, he went on to become an intern at Morgan Stanley, where he would go to spend the next 28 years of his career. During his time at Morgan Stanley, Drew would be named the organization's first black managing director of their wealth management division in 2008, and would later go on to launch their global sports and entertainment unit in 2015, which boasted, at the, which boasted having over $35 billion under management. Now Drew runs his own firm, Educore Sports and Entertainment, which is educating, equipping, and empowering individuals in sports and entertainment to make better financial, business, and lifestyle decisions. Drew, thank you so much for joining our show today. Thank you, Mac. It's a pleasure to be here. Appreciate you having me. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's always amazing to, to get on and have a podcast with somebody of your caliber. You know, you've done a a, a breath of amazing things over your career, and um, I think it's going to be really exciting for our audience. So, I really love to know, you know, what was it like for you in the beginning uh, when you first started at Morgan Stanley as an unpaid intern? You know, back then, the uh, the company's name was Dean Witter. Dean Witter transitioned and ended up ultimately being bought by Morgan Stanley. Okay. Um, and the the key word back then was free. Unpaid meant that. <laughs> Obviously, I uh, I was on a, a, a very simple budget in terms of being a, a, a hungry college student, but it was also an opportunity for me to come in and learn about an industry that I had a lot of questions about. Um, you know, growing up as a kid, I had my first job working at the Inner Harbor Marina for a very successful entrepreneur by the name of Ken Wilson and... You know, I can remember the days where I would catch the number eight bus in the downtown Baltimore and look at, you know, the tall buildings and folks walking in and out and just being intrigued by what they did. And, you know, I remember doing a project in social studies in high school connected to the stock market. And this then, you know, afforded me an opportunity to get a real-life perspective on what exactly took place with regards to stockbrokers, investing, you know, and how that whole opportunity worked. And I can remember the day that I walked into the career planning and placement office 
Deborah Wales, who you know I owe greatly to for my career um, at the university, said, hey, I've got something. You should give it a shot. I think it will be up your alley. It doesn't pay, but the opportunities that you're going to have in terms of learning and exposure from a long-term perspective could be very invaluable. And, you know, I woke up finding myself still there after a 28-year period. And fortunately, after graduating and coming on board, you know, having the ability to get compensated. Yeah, that's amazing. You know, that's, that's a key thing. Um, I meet a lot of folks today who, you know, they have opportunities come up for them, but they're always like, well, if it's not getting paid, I can't do it. And I think sometimes yeah, people can be short-sighted that way. They do, Mac. And, you know, and, and it's one thing. I had you know, a group of interns that interned for the company this year, and I always view an internship as an opportunity for an audition. You know, you never know who's looking at you. You never know what potentially could come up in terms of additional opportunities. And, you know, it's a chance where, as the intern, you get to learn, you get to experience, you get real inside perspective in terms of what that organization has an opportunity to do. But it's also an opportunity for you to provide, you know, the ability to have something unique that's going to be on your resume. And I always challenge interns. You know, you go in, if they tell you to do X, then in a respectful way, see if there's a way that you can do three times X. Because in my situation, you know, after about two weeks of being there, they ran out of stuff for me to do. And, you know, my internship started in 1987. And the day that one of my days in there was when the stock market crashed. And so, you know, I got to see this whole experience firsthand in terms of the phones ringing off the hook, you know, the financial advisors being really concerned about what was happening, them reaching out to their clients. But I also had an opportunity, you know, for them to find some things for me to do. And one day they said, hey, take this crisscross directory. They put me in a conference room. They wanted me to call individuals to potentially gain some interest of clients to invest in in municipal bond offerings. That turned into not only appointments, but then it turned into, you know, actual business being done. And that really provided them to look at me in a different way. And later, my first semester of of my junior year is when they said, hey, when you graduate, we've got an opportunity for you if you want to come on board. And so, you know, I just found things to do with other individuals. I established a level of respect for, you know, my colleagues that work for me in the office. And, you know, people had an interest in saying, hey, if you got a few minutes, I've got some stuff you can work on for me. Or, hey, come on in here, kid. I want to talk to you a little bit more about how the markets and how this business operates. So, again, you know, a message that I send strongly to interns, don't just look at this as that, you know, three or four or five-week internship that you may be having, but look at it as a way for you to position yourself and for people to think about you in ways that could set you up for either additional opportunities there or, you know, another firm that may exist outside of that where somebody might have a relationship with and can make a referral or put a good word in for you. Got it. And it sounds like uh, that level of hustle and work ethic that you have has carried you through in your career, which goes right into my next question. You know, as you progress within the company, how were you able to work your way up to a managing director? And it sounds like that that work ethic and hustle is what got you there. You know, it, it did. I mean, managing director on Wall Street, and especially at a firm like Morgan Stanley, you know, that, that's the level where you have arrived. 
and it wasn't something that I had even thought about or given a lot of consideration to earlier on, frankly. Um, you know, when I came in, while I enjoyed the internship, you know, one of the things that, you know, was a bit frustrating was the fact that I never saw people that looked like myself coming in to meet with their advisors. And I didn't see advisors that looked like me being an African-American. And so to come in and be afforded an opportunity to become initially a financial advisor for the first nine years, you know, there are a couple of things that I had to really get a hold of. And that, you know, first item was work ethic and, you know, being very comfortable putting in the time. Because let's face it, as a young black man, you know, I was 21 years old when I started. I was in an industry that, you know, quote unquote, by the industry standards, I was not supposed to be there based on what the dynamic had been historically. So I was in a position where I needed to make sure that I outworked the individuals that were seated beside me. I put the time in and, you know, it was also one where I had to be very comfortable being able to think outside of the box, doing things that other people weren't doing, looking at solutions and looking at individuals from the standpoint of whether it was you know, untapped markets as far as investment clientele that I had an opportunity to work with during my time as a young financial advisor, or whether it was situations when I progressed within the company, going into management and senior management, and looking at ways that I was going to run my particular market or my division, and being able to be creative and being unique and having a level of comfort to step out of that comfort zone and trying some things that had not been explored prior to uh, me being in that role. Yes. You know, we, we, we hear very often in our community, you know, you got to be 10 times as, ten times better or 100 times better than the person next to you. But I have to imagine being on Wall Street at the time that you were, like that was probably more true than ever. And so, you know, we all know it's, it's hard. It's not easy being the first black anything, but like how much work are we talking about you had to put in to get there to be the first black managing director of their uh, wealth management group. You know, are we talking about like 60 hours a week flying all over the country? Like, like what was that like? I mean, it, it, it was a combination of both. You know, the, the travel part was extensive. I can remember moving back to, to Maryland, you know, eight years ago. And as I look at, you know, that first six years that I was back here, you know, while I was still with the organization, I had spent more time sleeping in hotels than I did in my home here, which I had an opportunity to reflect on when I left Morgan Stanley in 2017. Um, but I guess when you think about the other things that were involved with that, you know, you put on blinders in this industry. And again, going back to being in a role where initially as an advisor, you know, you were convincing people why they should invest their money with you, why you were, were capable, and that you were the right person that, you know, were, were going to do the things that would have their best interest in mind and at heart. And so there were times where, again, you know, money is green in terms of what it was that we needed to do to be successful in that industry. And, you know, being that young advisor that I was, there were some you know, very interesting moments when you cold called someone in the morning and then you showed up, you know, a couple of days later for the appointment and then you got that, you know, guess who's coming to dinner look when they saw who was actually arriving at the door and not what they were anticipating. And unfortunately,
unfortunately, you know, you continue to deal with that process going into management and senior management, but it was a matter of continuing to show and demonstrate, you know, I deserve to be here, you know, I've got proven background and skills, and I've got value in ideas and opinions that matter, and having the capability to, you know, carry out the work that was in your scope of space, but also you know, being able to lead other people and to gain their confidence, to trust in you and show that, hey, you can make a difference, you can run this division and do some things that may or may not have been done historically to be able to put the organization in a unique spot. And, you know, I always value times where when I did transition, you know, being able to go into a division or into a marketplace that had not done really well. You know, this provided a capability to come in, you know, make some changes, think outside of the box. And, you know, you had a, a barometer that was a little bit lower. So clearly, you know, there was a lot of upside potential in situations like that. And, you know, gaining individuals' confidence in terms of senior management and other members of the organization, you know, also provided a capability to, you know, garner some of the support that was needed at times to enable some of those things to take place. That's amazing. And you know, it's, it's kind of crazy because I went to Morgan Stanley's website today and on the page where they talk about their um, wealth management group, there's actually a picture of a woman of color with curly hair. Now, I'm pretty sure in 2008 that, that was something that nobody would have ever even imagined, right? No, the, uh, their, 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 their advertising and marketing campaign and, and focus is a little bit different now than what it was back then, let's say that. And, and I would say that for, you know, not just that organization, but you know, fortunately, you have a lot of other companies and industries that are, you know, beginning to wake up and, and realizing the magnitude of being able to service a diverse audience of clients and, and people that, you know, individual companies have an opportunity to work with. And, you know, the importance of being able to do things that are going to be suitable for all folks that they are targeting as clients that they work with. Absolutely. And I want to take a moment here to, to the pause and introduce two of my co-hosts, uh, Christina Francis and Zena Ireland, who have walked in and are going to be joining the conversation with us. So I think Christina's over here. She's got a question she wants to jump in with. Well, I've, I've got, hi, Drew, how are you? Great, Christina, how are you? I'm doing wonderful. So, I, you know, you're just talking. So one thing I will uh, just echo is sometimes corporations' external news is really different than the internal reality, and some of the pictures are more aspirational than they are reality. Um, but Drew, I, I, one, a couple things that you talked about just reminds me of conversations we've had around you know, the hustle, working hard, leading others, maybe some imposter syndrome mixed in there. What moment stands out when you surprised yourself, when you were kind of you know, standing out, bringing the clients in, leading others? What moment stands out as your like, I got this moment. I guess, you know, when I became a regional director and being a regional director meant that you had to go in and you had a cluster of offices and marketplaces that were your responsibility. So when I moved into the role, when, Smith, when Morgan Stanley acquired Smith Barney, you know, I first took over the New Jersey and part of the New York region. And, you know, there were so many situations in there that required major, major change and turnover, and you had two completely different cultures that were coming together, and one culture was not thrilled that, you know, the other culture had a fairly decent amount of influence, mm -hmm. and 
We're going to be instilling a number of new ideas and techniques in terms of how the business would transition and be run at that point. And so, you know, during that period of time and transition, I think it really stood out for me in a host of different ways, you know, related to what I had to do, what we had to get people through, um, and, and winning over the confidence, quite frankly, of the individuals that were in my management team and those that were my senior producers that, you know, we've got this and we're going to get this done and, and you should be comfortable buying into, you know, the direction that we're going to be moving this organization and, and, and this region. Because, again, very tense moments for a lot of folks and a lot of turnover with mm-hmm. jobs and consolidating offices and branches and things of that nature. So, you know, I, I would think that would be one. And, and another one that sticks out was when I had an opportunity to go and actually head up the National Recruiting Division for Morgan Stanley, which was a division that focused on bringing in lateral recruits from other companies. And, you know, I took this over at a time where, you know, we were losing advisors to a very large extent. And I had the ability to put a new process in place, change around our marketing, change around our deals and structures, and spend a lot of time traveling around the country, meeting with branch managers and potential individuals that they were trying to bring in. And, you know, after a year, having a dramatic turnaround story with regards to what took place there, again, it just sent a strong message that you've got to be comfortable being creative. You've got to be comfortable thinking outside of the box. You have to be comfortable being able to go to, you know, senior management and asking for the order regarding the resources that we need needed to turn this machine around. And then obviously being, you know, the front-facing component of, again, a industry that typically is not very favorable, you know, to folks certain backgrounds and persuasions, but you are the one that's out there leading the charge and persuading these, you know, large producers to leave where they are and come over to your organization. So I think there are a lot of confidence moments that were built up as a result of my experience in that role as well. Do you have any uh, recruits or retention stories of people that only you were you were uniquely positioned to to get that person on board or to have them stay at the corporation. Yeah, there were you know there were a lot of situations that I was very actively engaged in. There, you know, it came and you know while we're not giving names, mm-hmm. it were there were individuals that when I ran the national recruiting division for two and a half years, you know when I took over, we had an outflow from a revenue standpoint of folks the firm had lost, you know, we were down about $140 million in trailing 12 production. And within the 12-month period, we were actually flat, which, again, mm-hmm. you've, looked, you've gotten rid of the losses or sustained that, but you also have substantial number of individuals coming in. So, you know, there was a lot of, a lot of stories that were there. You know, the other piece that I'll point to is, you know, during my last five years at the organization, I had come up with the idea of creating this global sports and entertainment division, and I know we're going to have some conversation around that, but that put the organization in a very unique spot because we were the only firm on Wall Street that had a dedicated division that focused on the unique needs of athletes and entertainers. And so we created a host of resources that really provided capabilities for financial advisors that were doing business in that area in a meaningful way at the organization because we were providing them a host of competitive advantages, but we also utilized that as a great recruiting tool, and there were some really significant advisors that we were able to attract and move to the organization as a result 
of that division and my heavy involvement with regards to them in the recruiting process and then in their business continuation of their business development process once they move to the firm. Hi, Drew. This is Zena. How are you? Great, Zena. How are you? Good, good. Just a follow-up to the Global Sports and Entertainment Division. Um, what was that moment when you decided, when you thought of this idea, when you said, "This is a, I should take this to management," and what, and what prompted you to do that? Well, I'll go back to earlier in my career as a financial advisor. You know, I often tell a story. One of my good friends, who's currently the comptroller of Baltimore City, was working for office. I was involved with uh, helping her with a fundraising event, and there was a lady that participated in this event that night that came up to me and said, hey, I'd like to set up some time to talk to you. My husband plays professional football, and, you know, we're about to go into second contract and really don't have any idea what we're doing with our money. <laughs> and so they came down to my office a couple weeks later. I went through my initial meeting routine with them with my legal pad out, asking a series of questions. And when I got to, like, the 13th question and the answer remained the same, he was slunched down in the seat, and every single response was, you need to ask my agent. You need to ask my agent. Mm -hmm. And I said to him in a respectful way, okay, I think our meeting needs to come to a conclusion, and I'm going to give you a bit of advice. You should be embarrassed that of the 15 questions that I asked you about your money and your finances, you were unable or unwilling to ask, answer a single one. When your career comes to an end, you will more than likely not have a need for an agent, but if you've done the right things with your money, you will always have the need for a financial advisor in your life to help assist and guide you. And so that then prompted you know, me to work with them. His attitude changed, became a really good client and friend and lived happily ever after. But as I continued to stay involved, and I ended up, you know, working with probably 25 additional athletes and entertainers during my tenure as an advisor, it always stuck with me because, unfortunately, the headlines never changed. You go back to the 1980s when the story about Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and him getting defrauded of north of $50 million, and whether it was you know, situations with Mike Tyson or Antoine Walker or more recently Kevin Garnett or, you know, Adrian Peterson, these headlines continue to come. And from my perspective, you know, when I looked at our industry, these clients are very unique in a variety of different ways. They get money at very young ages. They make very large sums of it. A lot of them have not had exposure to, you know, dealing with finances and investments um, based on their backgrounds or circumstances in certain situations or, you know, even if they came from affluent or educated families, they were just never exposed to it. And so I thought as an organization, we would have a unique opportunity to build out a business that could cater to these areas, provide enhanced training for them, get them better educated, and do some things that other firms had not you know, taking the opportunity or, or made the resources available in that capacity to get that done. And so, you know, it was eight years ago and kind of playing around on the legal pad and then having developed really good relationship with, you know, our, our president that was at the firm at that time over top of the wealth management division. And I said to him, you know, I'd like to come up, sit, have a conversation with you. I went to New York, walked through a business plan with him and 
He indicated, I want you to go meet with a couple of folks. And about a month later, they circled back and said, hey, we're going to do this, and you're going to leave your role as the regional director for the Mid-Atlantic region and go run the startup business for us. That's amazing, man. Um, but, you know, in this day and age, it's really difficult to talk about athletes and finances without mentioning the 2012 documentary, Broke, which was part of the ESPN 30 for 30 series. Was that documentary instrumental at all in the work that you've done or are doing now? Yeah, it, it is. You know, it's funny how often that's referenced. And I had actually not seen Broke prior <laughs> to the division being launched, but I had heard a lot about it. Two of the individuals that were, you know, kind of the initial stars of Broke, one in a good way, one in a not-so-great way, ended up becoming very good friends and very good colleagues in terms of being able to bring them in. And they, you know, they did consulting work for St. Morgan Stanley, and, and they're actively engaged now with the work that we're doing at Educor, and that's Bart Scott and Antoine Walker. You know, two unique stories. Bart, you know, hometown Baltimore Ravens in terms Absolutely. of where he started out his career, undrafted player who had a signing bonus of $500 mm. uh, and coming on to the Ravens, but then went on and had career earnings of over $60 million, transitioned into broadcasting and did some really good things with his money and, you know, is in good shape today. You know, the other side of that story is Antoine Walker, and we've all heard the Antoine Walker story, and Antoine, you know, was in a different set of circumstances and that, you know, he was cited as going to be the superstar basketball player, which he was. Came out of Kentucky after his second year winning a championship, went into the NBA, you know, made crazy money just in the NBA money alone. You know, he made over $110 million and then unfortunately two years out of the league had to declare bankruptcy. And again, they've got unique sets of circumstances, but they both ended up coming to be a part of what we're doing and being able to share their messages both with good components and bad components so that others could be able to benefit and we could bring a lot of their circumstances to real life. And, you know, the reality is, is that we obviously hear about, you know, a lot of these headline stories that are negative in certain situations, and it's unfortunate, but for every one that we read about, there are probably another 50 or 60 that unfortunately we don't hear about. And so it's just so important now for you know, us to be able to challenge the system to a different way and really, you know, take a different approach regarding how we're beginning to get this education out there and putting some checks and balances in so that some of these things, you know, are not continuing to permeate the way that they have been historically. Mm -hmm. and, and some of that is really, you know, pushing financial literacy earlier in life. And so I think we all heard of Nas and Will Smith investing in, what was the app called? Step, I think, the financial app. Um, yes. So are there, are there financial apps that are out now that you think every parent should have their, their kids um, use or any other resources that you think uh, anyone, especially in the black community or underserved community, should, should take a look at? Yes, I think there are a number of apps that are out there now. I think that's definitely one for individuals to take a look at. You know, there's a company called EverFi based in Georgetown that does a lot of work in this area, and we actually um, utilize their digital application for part of our process. Um, 
the application part in terms of getting it on their phone is one thing. But, you know, I think we've got to take a much closer look now at how we start presenting this in person and in classrooms, whether it's at the grade school level or at the high school level or the college level. You know, it's, it's insane when we look at our society, we focus on the fact that, okay, we want our kids to go to college. We want them to get that four-year degree because if you get that four-year degree, it's going to give you a better shot of getting a better job in most cases and then coming out and making more money. But the fundamental thing that we don't do or don't teach in society or insist as taught are things around basic financial literacy and basic financial education. And so, unfortunately, we have really smart students that are graduating from college, and if you're not a finance or business major, and there's no guarantee that even if you are, you're getting exposed to get these simple things done, you're not going to have this put in front of you. So I think it's important that there are ways that within the classroom, and you know that's a big part of what we do at Educore is being able to go in and provide these sessions that we call edutainment, because mm -hmm. we combine education with an entertainment component to it to make this topic fun. Take the intimidating part out of it, because money's an intimidating thing to talk about, and if you don't know things about certain areas, by human nature, you just tend to stay away from it and not put in the time and be able to learn more about that. And that's why, you know, there are things that, again, I think can be done at much earlier stages, whether it's an application or whether it's, entities saying, hey, you know, we need to have somebody come in, whether it's a couple times a year, provide some education around this, and then have some level of follow-up so that there are things that they can do at their own pace on their own time on an app or online to continue and keep that learning process going. And that's one of the things that we've developed as an organization that, you know, we are hoping to get more adoption from and utilization out of. That's awesome. I love bringing the kind of the culture and the entertainment in there just to keep people engaged in it. The other thing I want to circle back to when you were mentioning the young, young athlete that came to you and couldn't answer or wouldn't answer some of the financial questions and, and push it off to their um, agent. We're seeing now like the National Basketball Association or Players Association and National Football Association bringing people in to really work with the athletes as they come in to actually create themselves as a, as a brand and to give mm -hmm. them more rights over their names and their you know licensing sponsorship marketing relationships and i've also heard that you know there are a few organizations that are looking to allow fans to actually invest incrementally into athletes what are your thoughts on where we're going from just a sports fan marketing and engagement perspective and what opportunities are, are out there in the future yeah, I, I think that, I mean, the, the institutions in terms of whether it's league, player associations, you know, they have had some level of programming for quite some time now. Um, and, you know, while I think well-intentioned, clearly there's a lot more that can and should be done there. Um, you know, when you talk about the importance of financial management or when you talk about the importance of being able to run somebody's business, you know, these are things that people go to school for four years and come out and are able to do because they've learned this and studied this. When you think about athletes and entertainers, they are very smart, super intelligent, very engaged, 
very disciplined, very focused. But if this is not something that you've spent time around or been doing for any length of period of time, it's going to be a challenge for you. You're going to stay away from it, you know, and you're going to defer this to somebody else in terms of what they may have the capability to do for you on your behalf. And unfortunately, you know, we've seen some not so great stories related to that. So it's great to see that there are more areas of engagement potentially coming into place. But again, I think the key is really being able to, you know, you indicated earlier, plant this educational seed with individuals early on and provide for them to have the capability to understand what's happening and being able to monitor and control that. There is nothing wrong, and I'm a full proponent of athletes and entertainers having their professional team, having a qualified financial advisor, CPA, business manager, agent, you know, publicist, you know, having the right people around them to get these things done. But what I do struggle with is, you know, you, you're now becoming the CEO of you incorporated. You know, Jay-Z says it best. I'm a business man, not a <laughs> business man. Yep. And Unfortunately, we have so many of these individuals that come in and they think, okay, my only focus now is being the starting quarterback for the Baltimore Ravens or starting running back for, you know, whatever team. And while that's what's bringing the bread to the table, you can't lose sight of the fact that you have these added responsibilities now. And these are things that you've got to take the ownership of getting your arms around, understanding how they work getting the right people around you and having a good understanding of how to run and understand the business things that are taking place for you. Because again, you know, if you don't have a plan for your money and your activities, somebody else will. And unfortunately, individuals come in, you know, they assume, okay, I'm going to let mom and dad or somebody else run this. I don't need to be involved. They've got my back. They have me covered. And, you know, there are plenty of situations where there is no malice that's involved, but you've got the wrong people that are not equipped making major decisions on individuals' behalf. And so, you know, the importance of people taking the ownership and getting educated around this and having this understanding of what's going on with regards to the activities that are taking place on their behalf is absolutely critical. I appreciate that thought process on it because to your point when you have people out here who aren't professionals who don't have backgrounds doing this and you know getting access to your money can be a really dangerous thing right so people need to be careful about how they handle that but you know you mentioned this a little earlier and I want to go back to it you know after being after being at Morgan Stanley for 28 years you decided to launch your own firm uh, Educor Sports and Entertainment. So, what is Educor, and why is, and why is this the company you wanted to build after being at Morgan Stanley for so long? Yeah. So, for me, I've always been one that has liked to teach and educate. When I started my career as an advisor, you know, I initially did a lot of work with African American churches, and I did work with African American churches and doing free seminars for the members and knowing that a majority of the individuals that were coming to those seminars were not going to be clients of mine, um, but I wanted to have an opportunity to educate them on the nuances. And, you know, in, in our community, 
there were a lot of misunderstandings and myths that you need a million dollars to start or you invest your money and you typically you know, have chances of losing it overnight. And that just wasn't the case. And so for me now, to fast forward things, I wanted to have the capability to take my 28 years of experience in the financial services space in terms of having you know, held a variety of roles, but even more importantly now in the past five years, having been immersed in the sports and entertainment area and seeing so many of the things that I saw firsthand. You know, while I ran the division, I still got actively engaged in the day-to-day of sitting down with financial advisors in my group and seeing their clients or seeing new clients that were in this area. And quite frankly, just some of the very challenging circumstances and things that they were dealing with. And, you know, it just stuck upon me that there's got to be a way now that I can utilize what I've done, my understanding of the industry, my relationships, to be able to try to do something different and taking a unique approach and moving forward to change the game and change the narrative. And so Educore Sports and Entertainment, you know, we combine the words educating you is core to what we do. It's how we come up with our name. And everything that we do has an educational component to it. And our focus and our mission is really to be able to educate, equip, and empower individuals in sports and entertainment to make better decisions around their business, financial, and lifestyle affairs. And so, you know, immediately I like to tell people what we're not. We're not financial advisors. We're not agents. We don't manage money, sell financial products, or impede on the work that's done there. You know, our focus is really to go in and have an opportunity to provide educational programs that are fun and interactive for, for high school students, for college students, and for professional athletes in all areas of sport um, in a variety of different leagues. Uh, just to, again, put them in a position to have a better level of understanding. And then there are a couple things that we do from a consulting service perspective, again, that focus on the equip and empower side to come in and provide them with some additional support and resources to better understand the nuances of what's happening with the people that they're working with and putting them in a stronger position to be a better CEO of them incorporated and being able to understand all the nuances of all the things that are taking place around them. What kind of impact do you see in your team making with this company? I think what we're going to be able to do is huge. You know, I think the fact that we are an educational focused entity makes a big difference. When I look at the work that we did before um, in my prior life, you know, there were a lot of other entities out there that would approach teams and leagues and want to come in and provide financial education. And again, while I thought some of the work that we did before was unique and that we were not, you know, utilizing a sales practice related to the work that we're done, you know, folks would always say, you know, let's be real, you work for a big financial institution at the end of the day, you know, you guys want to come in and provide some education with the hopes of getting clients as a result. And so the perception of that with the work that we're doing now completely goes out the window because, you know, there is no hidden agenda. An entity will hire us, bring us to come in, put together a customized education platform for their users and be able to, you know, employ that. I think the other thing that's very unique about what we do is the fact that, you know, I have individuals that have really deep industry experience former agents, 
former pro athletes, former you know individuals in the entertainment space, and those that are in that were in the financial space, and to be able to collectively take our industry expertise in various areas, but being able to combine that in a delivery method where when we are connected with that pro athlete and entertainer and go into that forum, we make it real for them. It's not some you know nerdy financial person up here trying to give me a textbook lesson about managing my money. We take practical topics for them that are relevant for them right now. But when you can do that in a couple of different subject areas and you have that individual like a Bart Scott or an Antoine Walker or on the entertainment front, a Tamari Cooney that's been out there, they've dealt with it, and they can share real-life stories with you that's connected with the curriculum that you're going through, it really takes over the audience, gets them engaged in that conversation, and now really provides them the ability to want to go learn more and do more and understanding that, hey, I've got this, it's not as intimidating as what I thought it was, and I can get my arms around this relatively quickly and take it in bite-sized pieces. So I think by looking at some of the ways that we're approaching this in a different manner without having that product connected, mm -hmm. but with really utilizing a down-to-earth approach in terms of how we implement and exec execute our program is really going to put us in a unique spot. And it's amazing, you know, as we're out here now talking about this and we're having exposure and audiences and being involved in different panels and out and actually going and doing the programs, you know, the response has been, you know, pretty amazing. We're getting athletes now that are calling in or connecting with us saying, hey, I love what you're doing. Is there a way that I can get involved in terms of being with the financial education program? Because I want to give back and allow others to be able to benefit as a result of some of the success that I've had. And so I think there are a number of things that we're going to be able to do that have been different that, again, will allow us to have legitimate change, legitimate impact, and really change the narrative of what we've seen taking place in this area for so many years. How have these athletes been hearing about what the type of work you're doing? Has it been in the press? Has it been word of mouth? I'm just curious if any stories have been written up um, about the work you're doing. So it's, it's, it's been a combination of a few things. We just started our actual program over the course of the past four weeks. There's been some initial press that came out earlier on announcing the company. There are going to be a couple stories that are going to be in, you know, coming out fairly soon regarding programs that we did. Um, you know, we just completed a great program down at the IMG Academy that was underwritten by Under Armour, and uh, it was for the students that were at Ray Lewis's football camp. And these were top high school kids from nice. around the country. That's very nice. And I give Ray kudos for, you know, expanding his thinking outside of just focusing on skills that are taking place on the football field. You know, Ray did a two-day program. Part of that curriculum for that program was in the classroom where he focused on mental health he focused on financial education and talking about some of the other things around manhood with he and a couple of former other players. Mm -hmm. um, and to you know, be there for the kickoff, he had a bunch of parents that were in the room when he went through the agenda. You know, they gave the financial education piece and the mental health, mental awareness piece, you know, big applause, not realizing that this wasn't just about the skills that were going to be taking place on the football side. So, mm -hmm. you know, big props to him on that front. 
Um, we also just, you know, completed a great program for student athletes of the University of Michigan recently. Woohoo! Finally, <laughs> maize and blue, go blue. I've been hearing so much Hoya, Hoya, Hoya. I'm so tired of it. I'm here in DC. I'm like, I need some Michigan folks on my show. Well, you Thank got, you. you. Well, you got it. You got it. I got it. <laughs> That's why I was supposed to be here today to hear you say this. <laughs> Yeah, I've got to, I've got to give, uh, you know, I've got to give a big shout out to Ward Manual. Ward is that's, the I, I, I know director. No Ward at, at, at the University of Michigan, and you know, He's I had the privilege of working. <laughs> I, I had the privilege of working with Ward in his prior role at UConn, and you know, Ward is a pioneer. Um, when he found out, obviously, about the new company, he wanted to get involved. He wanted to figure out, you know, what we could do. So we put together some a customized program for the individuals there. And, you know, the receptivity of the program was unbelievable. You know, we did a separate session for just the football team. Mm -hmm. We had uh, other team members come in in another program. Coach Harbaugh actually came into the football session, nice. kicked it off, sat in the audience and spent 30 minutes with, you know, us while we were doing the program. And that really resonated and I think sent a strong message to the team players in terms of the level of importance that this has and how they really need to get their arms around this. And it was funny, you know, he and I were having a conversation before the session started, and he said, you know, Drew, most of my guys get a check for XYZ a month. Their rent is this. They've got XYZ left. Are you guys going to be addressing that? Because I think this is something that, you know, really needs to be told and taught to them. And, you know, one of our things that we do in our sessions is we have a role play and we go through a budgeting exercise, and then we bring an individual up, and we do a role play with them. And the role play was around the fact that with the football team, okay, you just got drafted to the NFL. We have a, uh, a stack full of play money that's on the table in front of them. They don't know what it is. And when the volunteer comes up, we pull it off, and there are $600,000 in play bills. And we go through an exercise with them, where Bart Scott says, okay, we've got to make some choices. Where are you going to live? What are you going to drive? What are you going to wear? How are you going to eat? Mm -hmm. And for each of those decisions wow. they make, we multiply that number by 12 and take the money off the table. And then Bart looks to the audience and says, okay, what did they forget? Somebody yells out taxes. Somebody yells out my agency. Somebody yells out, you know, vacation. So it becomes a very practical thing for them and it really opens their eyes on what they think and hear is what they're going to be making, whether it's 50 grand a year or 600 grand a year, really ends up not being that when it's all said and done. And so, you know, we've got a, a number of other programs going to, that are going to be coming up and announced really soon. You know, we're excited about our first NFL partnership that I can't talk about yet, but that's <laughs> going to commence in a couple of weeks with a, uh, a really great NFL team. Um, but we're going to be doing a lot more on that front, Cena, uh, as it relates to being able to get the word out there around our activities and efforts. And uh, it sounds like you've got a lot of experience in that space, so maybe we can have some conversations and tapping into you on how to best continue to do that with uh, the great gentleman that we're working with on that front now. Absolutely. I would love that. And so... Drew, I want to take this in a little bit of a different direction. You know, we've, <laughs> we've done a lot of talking about business in your career, but you were also recently named chairman of the Reginald F. Lewis Museum of Maryland African-American History and Culture, which seems a bit ironic because, you know, one can argue you're somebody who should be featured in that museum. 
How did the opportunity come about? And for you, what is the what does that museum mean to you? All right, well, Mac, I, I, I'm going to accept the compliment, <laughs> but I think I'm way too old and way too under-accomplished to be featured in a museum yet. So, you know, you can have that conversation a couple hundred years from now. <laughs> <laughs> if, if I ever got to the point where I was worthy of that and certainly far from that now. You know, for me, it is a big deal. Um, I was, I've always been very actively involved and cared about, you know, doing things related to working and supporting my community. Twenty-something years ago, I had an opportunity to co-found an organization called Black Professional Men here in Baltimore that focused on the needs of, you know, working with young black youth who didn't have positive role models in their lives. And we put together a program that got national attention and worked in going into some of the tougher inner-city schools and helping these young men to progress and become men and accepting and taking care of a lot of their responsibilities. And so, you know, when I moved back to this area a number of years ago, I wanted to have an opportunity at some point when the travel slowed down a little bit to find an, an, an entity that I had passion and interest around. Um, I received a phone call a couple of years ago from Wanda Draper, who was, was a former executive director and just, you know, the one of the most incredible women that I know in this country. And she asked me to chair the gala at the museum and you know I chaired the gala was able to get folks and friends to support it um, but this museum means so much to not only Baltimore but for this country because often at times people think about African-American history and without African-American history we don't have the history of this country and the things that have taken place in our various cities and states and so for me for us to have this unique institution, for it to continue to grow, continue to expand, continue to tell the stories, but also now to have an opportunity and reach out and touch audiences that we typically don't think about with regards to, you know, the typical museum audience. And the days of the hoity-toity, you know, well-heeled folks that, you know, are just going out to these institutions, you know, that dynamic has changed and has to continue to change. And we need to think about being able to go out and draw and attract and bring in individuals from all calibers, all financial levels, all backgrounds to be able to understand what is taking place and how things progress forward. And so for me, this is an opportunity to really make an investment of time and commitment and capital and, you know, hopefully utilize the number of the things that I think I've been able to you know, connect some dots on and make some really solid contributions to both the museum and to the members of the board and the great staff of people that work there. Drew, I think what, what you're doing is absolutely amazing. And I haven't heard hotty toddy in, in a while, so thanks for saying that. I, a question on, you mentioned Under Armour and, and obviously a, 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 an announcement that you're gonna make with an NFL team. Are there other types of partnerships and, um, you know, just partnerships or, or collaborations that you are looking forward to in the future? How can our audience help? How can we help kind of get the word out there and maybe help identify additional individuals or organizations or corporations even that, that would support your, your vision? Thank you for asking that question. So I think there, there are a number of things. I mean, we are obviously actively looking at ways where we can engage with a host of different schools and colleges 
that are going to have an interest in, you know, continuing to further the education of their student athletes. And at some point it will expand out to larger audiences within the college network. Um, you know, there are situations where maybe a school might not be able to have the resources available, but maybe there's a sponsor in a particular market that, you know, a school would be willing to have the opportunity to work with and being able to get that done. You know, we want to also be able to get in front of some of these younger athletes in a variety of capacities. So individuals that are involved with programs that are pertaining to that, you know, Under Armour clearly does a lot in this particular area with the, a lot of the elite programs that they're running, but obviously there are other entities that, you know, are doing work in that space as well. And then we, when we think about professional sports, you know, obviously we have the large standouts that are there and involved, you know, that we're continuing to, to work at forging relationships with and having this conversation. So, again, this discussion can continue and these resources can be made available to the entities and individuals that they are working with. So, you know, any support that can be provided, we, we welcome with open arms. You know, our, our website is up and running, www.educore.com. Um, and, you know, we appreciate any support and, and any uh, connection points or, or thoughts that can be provided from your audience that are out there. That's amazing. We'll make sure we get the word out. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today, Drew. My pleasure. Thank you all for having me, and uh, kudos to you all for the great work that you're doing in providing this podcast and this information. Definitely appreciate, I appreciate that. For being here. Appreciate that. Thank you, everybody, for joining us today. Make sure you check out our website at getfoundgetfunded.com. Sign up for the newsletter and check us out on social media. We are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And, of course, listen every month and don't miss an episode. Thank you, everybody. And, Drew, um, where can we find you on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook? Follow us on Twitter at, at Educore Backspace and Instagram at Educore underscore. Great. We will look you up and make sure our followers and listeners um, um, follow you. And thank you so much for joining us. Yes, thank you, Drew. Thank you very much for having me. This has been a great opportunity. I appreciate the conversation today. Absolutely. Thank you, sir. Thank you, thank you, thank you.